The Lord spoke to me last year about where we would need to be and where we would need to go in 2018. So the majority of what I'll be doing this year and what I've already done is about redefining the church. The first four weeks of the year, we reimagine church as a grace place, a great place, a generous place, and a glory place. But now we get into some doctrine over the course of the next eight weeks, and we're going to talk about what God is saying to the church. Because while this is ancient in many ways, it is relevant to where we are today as a church. And I believe that God is still speaking to his church, amen? And I believe God's still in our midst and he has something important and powerful to say to us because God is doing a work here at Ibis House. I mean, it is a significant and supernatural work here. I feel it and it just makes me smile and laugh because I'm seeing God work. And that there's, there's the, nothing more awesome than seeing God do things. You know, it's so cool when you don't have to do it and you get to just cheer God on and I see God doing some things and my spirit is encouraged this morning and I hope your spirit is encouraged. But I've titled this series Unveiled Calling because that is what the revelation of the apocalypse is all about. It's about uncovering hidden mysteries about the kingdom of God. 60 years after Pentecost, John the apostle had a powerful vision on the island of Patmos and I've been there. Uh, Pastor Ken will be going there for a tour of, of Paul and, and, and it's such an amazing place but it's a desolate and desperate place but he had this vision that this vision is still being dissected and investigated 2,000 years later John was the last of his kind all of the other apostles had been martyred but this old relic was still alive and he'd been arrested he was a political prisoner of the Roman regime under the emperor Domitian. Eventually that emperor would die and John would be released back to Ephesus as an old man. I see John as kind of like our own pastor emeritus, although our pastor emeritus is much younger, better looking, I think he's watching from Destin, okay? But it's good to have wisdom and it's good to have someone that has permission to speak into you that has seen things you haven't seen. Somebody say amen. amen. That has been some places you haven't been. Somebody say amen. amen. What I see in the church today is we have a, a divide and a division between the generation rising and the generation that was. And the enemy's using that to divide us by style and a bunch of nonsensical matters that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. One generation thinks the other one are out of tune, out of touch. The other one feels like that there's a generation that's over the hill and that doesn't understand them. The enemy's using all this to divide us. And I believe God has blessed me and is blessing our church because we've always honored those that have gone before us. So you have John. He's kind of the pastor emeritus to this church of Ephesus. These first three chapters of the book of Revelation are dedicated to these seven churches of Asia Minor. One Sunday, old John got caught up to the Spirit of the Lord and had a vision of the resurrected Savior, Jesus, walking through the lampstands which represented these churches. 
walking through the midst of them and the Holy Spirit touched him and he gets caught up and he releases these words to the seven churches. Now I want to list these seven churches for you just so you'll know where we are going the next seven or eight weeks. The first is Ephesus, which means in the Greek desired one. Everybody say desire. Then you have Smyrna, which is myrrh, which has to do with worship being restored. Then you have Pergamos, which means united and in covenant. Then you have Thyatira, which means continual sacrifice. Then you have Sardis, which means a remnant escaping. Then you have Philadelphia, which is brotherly love. Then Laodicea had to do with the rights of the people. This revelation has something to say to us globally, spiritually, and supernaturally today. So I've titled this message, Return to Your First Love. And I'll start by telling you that I believe many of us have lost that loving feeling. I thought about showing the clip of Top Gun of Maverick and Goose. <laughs> Way in old Kelly McGillis. Wasn't she pretty back in the 80s? My goodness. Singing, you've lost that loving feeling from Top Gun. I, 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 but I can remember being a teenager and being in love. I'm telling you, we've, Kelly and I have been married almost 20 years and her parents didn't want her dating this rebellious preacher's kid, but this rebellious preacher's kid didn't really care. <laughs> I loved her, man. I mean, we'd sneak a cricket phone just to hear each other breathe <laughs> and fall asleep, you know, with the cricket phone that mom and daddy didn't know we had, you know. We'd smooch over there where Brent's house is now. That's why it's so anointed, Brent. We'd be over there at Chester Frost Park. I mean, we loved each other. And I'm telling you, there wasn't any entity law that could keep us from loving each other. We made a choice to go broke loving each other. And bless God, we were for a long time. And we gave up a lot because we loved one another. But I think about our Christian life. And the Lord really took me to a place of worship yesterday. All of the things I had scheduled were canceled and I got to spend some time with my Savior alone. And I thought about when I first got touched by God, how much I loved him, how much I prayed, how often I would lay in my floor and cry and weep, how much I just was so glad and amazed that God loved me that he hadn't given up on me. And I thought, Lord, I, I want that to be not just for special occasions. I want that all the time. I want to worship you like that all the time. I want to love you like that all the time. Many of you know my family's from Alabama and I'm a Hank Williams fan. And old Hank had a song, Why Don't You Love Me Like You Used To? How Come You Treat Me Like a Worn Out Shoe? My hair's still curly and my eyes are still blue. Why don't you love me like you used to do? I'm telling you, I think sometimes God looks down at all that we try to do religiously, all that we try to do intellectually, all that we've got figured out, and the Lord says, why don't you love me like you used to? I'm not looking for your ideas. I'm thankful for your gifts. I'm thankful for how you serve. 
I'm thankful that you keep the letter of the law. I'm thankful that you have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But why don't you love me like you used to? The Bible says this, Revelation chapter two, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands that represent the church. I know your works. Everybody say works. Your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand, your influence, your authority from its place unless you repent. But this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Heavenly Father, anoint this word today. Lord, may it not just be informational, may it be inspirational. Lord, may you do something spiritually in the atmosphere today that would shift and change where we are. Lord, I'm thankful for how you've transformed us, but Lord, I know there's so much more that you have for us. May we return to our first love today, Lord, which is you in all your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, Ephesus. Ephesus was the mother church in Asia Minor. This was the first established church in this particular region. I believe it was God's favorite of the bunch. Now, I'm not gonna debate that, but I believe it was God's favorite. It had some great leaders. How about Paul's friends, Aquila, and Priscilla, Apollos, even the Apostle Paul was there three years. I mean, this church had some dynamic people, Timothy, Tychicus, and now the elder statesman, John, is there, so they knew a thing or two about leadership, amen? They knew a thing or two about anointing. They did some great things, the Bible says. It had large stadiums, schools, philosophy, temples, cutting-edge technology for its time, athletics. It led cities in trade. It had a seaport where many tourists would come in. But it also had a problem with idolatry. There was a Greek goddess Artemis, which the Romans called Diana. There was slavery, prostitution, idol worship, gladiator fights, and much entertainment. You see, sometimes entertainment is a substitute for an authentic move of God. Paul had seen God move there, and he fell in love with this church. We've taught you the book of Ephesians. He loved the remnant of God's people there. But his heart would be troubled to the things that he saw there. In Acts chapter 19, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, we have not so much heard there is a Holy Spirit. They were Baptists. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And so they said, into John's baptism. And then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, 
saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke with other tongues and prophesied. And a great riot occurred because some of the people wanted to worship the goddess of the temple and some were being filled with the Holy Spirit and you had this great division between what God was doing and the idolatry of the day. We have that today in the church. There's a great divide between people that want to worship idols and people that want to worship the one true God. And, and it doesn't have to be a, a Greek goddess from a temple. It could be uh, you, you, your, your idol's religion. Your idol's your denomination. Your idol's your tradition. Your idol's what you like and your style. It's all idolatry unless Jesus is sitting on the throne of your heart. It can all be classified as idolatry. So first I want to get into the diagnosis of the church, the diagnosis of the church. Now, I spent seven years working in disability, and uh, one of the things that I had to do in my first job in disability was I had to memorize ICD-9 codes. And basically, as you were processing claims, Shelby knows what I'm talking about, she works where I used to work. And you had to memorize these codes, and, and I can't even get them out of my mind, like 646-90s complicated pregnancy, 311 is depression. I still remember all this crazy stuff because I did it for so long. But the diagnosis of the church means that you take what information that you have through x-rays, MRIs, whatever, and you look at the inner workings of someone's body, the tests they pass, the tests they fail, and you come up with a diagnosis. And so I believe that God is diagnosing Ephesus in these first few verses. So what is the diagnosis given to this particular church? The first is complacency. Everybody say complacency. When it says they've lost their first love, that means that they used to have something, but now they've lost it, so they become complacent. Living on the victories of the past, they've become cold towards the things of God. When you become cold towards something, your passions, it hasn't been ignited in a long time. You're not as passionate about what you used to be passionate about. They've lost convictions. That word angel, to the angel of the church, that word means messenger. And this refers to the pastor. Many theologians believe that when God would speak these things and when he penned these things, that it was to the pastor because I believe with all my heart that God is to speak to the leader of the church. That God gives the vision to the leader of the church. Now I thank God for boards because we, we need to have them because of the IRS. But if a pastor is truly walking with God, then there shouldn't be 14 committees. The pastor hears a word from the Lord and the people rally. The pastor is responsible and must be sensitive to the voice of the Lord. This diagnosis is for the local church. It's for us today. Have we grown complacent? Have we grown cold? Have we lost our conviction? See, soul winning is not something you do leading up to Easter. It's a way of life. Faithfulness is not something you do when the preaching's great or the worship's hype or the bass is kicking. Faithfulness is a way of life. Integrity is not something you do when somebody preaches on it. It's a part of who you are. Amen? I'll smile more. Doug tells me I don't smile enough. All right. We got to be faithful to the things God has called us to do. 
Jesus is able to diagnose the church because it says he walked in the midst of the church. So Jesus diagnoses the church as cold, complacent, and that they've lost their conviction. So now there's a distinction, a distinction. What set this church of Ephesus apart from the others, the distinction of the church? What was the potential of this great church? The diagnosis was troubling, but the potential was limitless. I believe that's Abba's house. Maybe there is a complacency in this church. Maybe there is a loss of conviction, but the potential's much greater. The distinction's much more powerful than the diagnosis. What has set us apart, what we've done right, will carry us into the future. It says, I know your works, your labor. The word labor means to toil to the point of exhaustion, to work to the point of exhaustion in the Greek. That's the kind of work God requires of his people, to work to the point of exhaustion for the kingdom of God. How many of you does that convict? We've got to work to the point of exhaustion to get this message out. Your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Listen, you've stood against evil. You've tested those who say they're apostles or not. You've stood for truth. You've done spiritual warfare. And you've found them liars. And you've persevered. You've got perseverance. You survived all kinds of problems, difficulties, and attacks. You've labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. And in verse six, it says, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. John reminded them of who they were and informs them of what they could be. So first, he says, listen, Ephesus has always been a church that serves. Everybody say serves. Ephesus was a church that sacrificed. I believe Abba's house is a church that serves. Somebody say amen. It's a church that sacrificed, that labors to the point of exhaustion. It's a church that is steadfast. What does that mean? Faithful when no one's watching. The things that go on here that God does with you amazes me. I don't even know about all of it, but sometimes I'm surprised looking on social media, going around the community to hear what some of you are doing to love people, to serve people, it absolutely amazes me. I'm so honored to serve you. A church that's steadfast, faithful when no one's watching. A church that is set apart, consecrated. Can I say to you that there is such a thing as the wrong kind of growth? See, we all want this church to grow and we are growing in baptisms and in people, in hype and momentum. I thank God for all that, but hype and momentum comes and goes. Glory is what we need to be after. There's the wrong kind of growth. I don't want anyone that will not receive the grace message or will not be a steward of the grace message. Now, do I want sinners? Yes. Do I want all kinds of people? Yes. Do I want opportunities to disciple people into that which God's called them to be? Absolutely. But I don't want to inherit some other church's hell and it divide who God's called us to be and where he's called to go. And there is such a thing as the wrong kind of growth. I want sinners. 
I want people that God's called here to help us do that which God has called us to do. I don't want to trade church members. I don't want gypsies. I want those called anointed here that I don't have to convince this is a great place because I know it's a great place. I've been here a long time. This is a great place. Church that's set apart. A church that embraces suffering. Let me tell you this, we know a thing or two about that. Let me tell you, if you're gonna be the kind of church Jesus is talking about, you're gonna return to your first love and you're gonna do the things that God's called us to do, you will not be the most popular. We've never been the most popular. In fact, we might have been the most hated, the most talked about, the most condemned. But when you're in that category, do you understand that's when you most identify with our Savior? A church that's set apart, that embraces suffering, and a church that embraces the Spirit of God that's rejected the man-made model of popes and bishops and titles, Christ at the head of it all. Next, the disdain for the church. He brags on them. All the things they do well. But there's one thing. There's one problem. There's one issue that you have and that is that you have forgotten what got you here. You have left your first love. Let's define love. Service, sacrifice, connection, intimacy. A spiritual draw of completion. Listen to what the Bible says in John 15. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing. So all these works are meaningless unless we're in covenant with him. Somebody say Amen. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So I ask you this question, have you lost your first love? Have you drifted away from God's standard for your life? Have you lost that loving feeling that you need to do what God has called you to do? We look in Ephesians the epistle written to this church by Paul, and this is what it says. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. Everybody say love. As Christ has also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication, any kind of sex without, outside of marriage, uncleanliness, covetousness, wanting something you shouldn't have, let it not even be named among you as it is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking, no coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks, having the right kind of spirit. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers of them. So we do have to be set apart. 
Some of you are suffering not because it's God's will that you suffer. It's because you're in covenant with the wrong kinds of people. You're suffering because of who you're connected with. And sometimes you have to break that covenant and connection with the wrong kinds of people so you can live free and fully alive. Listen, if you're not free in the spirit of God and you're in the process of discipleship, it's really not time for you to take on someone to disciple. You know, I see it all the time. People get saved, they get touched by God and within 24 hours, they're ready to go preach crusades like Billy Graham. You're not ready. You're not ready. And all you're gonna do going back into the places you used to go to around the people you used to hang with is you're gonna make a mess in your own life and in their life and in the kingdom's life. There's power in being hidden for a season. Allowing people to speak into your life, correct you, help you. That's for someone this morning. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, verse eight and nine. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, rather expose them. So what are some signs? First of all, no connection. You have no connection, you have no intimacy, you have no connection to the body of Christ, you have no connection to the Father, you have no connection to the other people that believe like you, that believe in you, you've lost your connection. No change in your behavior. This will sting a little. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. The Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Ouch. Everybody say, ouch. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judah said to them, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me and does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. So there's no connection, no change in behavior and there's no consecration. There's no setting apart. The Bible says, if you dig down a little further in John chapter 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. So if you've never been hated for the cause of Christ, you may not be doing it right. Luckily, I don't have that problem. I come from a long line of legacy of people throwing rocks at me, so I'm good with it. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. It doesn't say it just doesn't agree with you. Just has a difference of opinion. Just maybe doesn't want to be your friend. It says hates you. Hates you. Bitter towards you. Wishes for your death. Can't stomach your thoughts doesn't want to hear your words. If you follow Jesus, the world hates you. Can't you see it in the media? Can't you see it in your day-to-day? If you do anything for Jesus Christ, it's just a matter of time before people start to attack and criticize and condemn you. All you have to do is look. You know, we're having Josh Turner come 
All-American day. I'm pumped up about it. I know you are too. But the interesting thing about Josh Turner, not only is he a country star and a Grammy guy and number one millions of albums and all that, he's actually my friend. His wife follows our ministry. She listens to my preaching on a regular basis, and I protect that friendship as best I can. But if you knew the story behind Josh Turner, when he first made it big and he started having number one hits, the band he had at the time, they were getting drunk and stoned and drinking and they were watching pornography and they were bringing girls on the bus. Some of them were married. And one day Josh fired every one of them. He called his manager and said, hey, I need a band. And he said, well, what kind of, what do you need? What kind of, he said, I need a band. He said, what do you mean you need a band? He said, I just fired them all. And he fired them all. And then he came up with this list, no whiskey, no women, no pornography, no taking the Lord's name in vain. And, and I may be missing a few of them, but he came up with this list. Well, somehow Rolling Stone magazine got this list and they published this article calling him a zealot and a religious fanatic and tried to trash his career. His wife was still hurting about it as of last year, just completely bashed him because of standards from God's word. If you do something for Jesus, you will be hated. It's just a matter of time. You can be nice about it, but you're going to be hated if you take a stand for Jesus in the marketplace. So you better be prepared for that. But if you've got your first love, it won't matter. <laughs> if you know whose you are, it won't matter. If you've got the anointing, the mikshaw on your life, it won't matter who hates you. Because you'll only be concerned that the one loves you. The one who died for you, the one who filled you, the one who sealed you, the one who has shaken you to your core. You won't care what anybody else thinks because you're in love with a Savior from Galilee who came for the least and the last and the lost, who restores, who saves, who fills, who cleanses, who gives you the power to press on when you feel like quitting. Not just the disdain for the church, but the deliverance of the church. What must we do to return to our first love? Remember therefore from where you have fallen. This is the same way you get saved if you don't know Jesus. Remember, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand, your authority, your blessing, your favor, I'll remove those things from your life unless you repent. So you gotta remember. Some of you need to remember what it was like when you first got filled with the Holy Ghost. Some of you need to remember what it was like when you first got saved. When you first found fellowship in the kingdom of God. Some of you need to repent. Say, Lord, I haven't put you first in my life. Forgive me. You need to acknowledge that you've lost your first love. You need to repent. And then you need to rejoice. What do you mean, Pastor Honey? I mean, some of you just, you know, you need some Red Bull or a Holy Ghost Valium or, you know, you need something. Some of you need to give God some praise, man. Some of you need to worship God again. Maybe you got a disease or you're in the midst of a struggle. Go ahead and worship him like he's already done it for you. Worship him like he's already there. You just need to worship God. You need to rejoice. And when you start to rejoice, you'll be restored. Garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. I tell you, I felt a heaviness in here Wednesday night and people started praising, man. 
And you see that thing lift off people when you just start giving God the glory. God wants to do something. He wants to deliver us, but we've got to be willing to acknowledge our mess. Remember where you came from. Repent and rejoice and God will restore that love language and that love in your life. Finally, the direction of the church, the direction God is calling us to go. The greatest book in the Bible on love is Song of Solomon. And I don't have time to walk you through that verse by verse, but you know, Solomon had nearly a thousand women, concubines, and he, he could have sex with whoever he wanted, whenever he wanted. I mean, he was just, that's who he was. He was the king. But if you go read Ecclesiastes 2, you'll find that at the end of his life, he was depressed and miserable. That none of that stuff would satisfy. The wine wouldn't, the wealth wouldn't, the women wouldn't, the wives wouldn't, none of it. But you go to Song of Solomon, you read about his first love. The Shulamite woman, and you read about how passionate they were. It's like young love, man, that teenage love, that first, you know, your heart beating fast. And he walks through the extravagance and the excessiveness of that first love. And I'm telling you, if you want to know where we're going as a church, I'm telling you, that's the direction we're going. What direction? Love. There are three key fundamentals that these seven churches represent, love, freedom, and purpose. The three things I want to be known for when I ask you why we exist I want you to say love, freedom, and purpose. Those are the three things that we are going to be known for going forward. Why, Pastor Ronnie, did you choose the word love instead of grace? Because grace is a religious word. Love is a worldly word. But many people long for love because they've been loved the wrong way by the wrong people. When they come in here, they're going to find the love of the Father, and then they're going to know what grace is about. Love provides a covering where grace is included and favor is included. And intimacy is included, but freedom is what happens when you truly walk in that love. You don't have to be in bondage to any kind of addiction, any kind of wrong way of thinking, any kind of junk any longer, because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And then you'll not just find your purpose, you'll fulfill it. Why? Because you've returned to your first love and you understand who it's all about. And when you understand who and who he is, it'll be a lot easier to figure out what you're supposed to do. Because he'll tell you. Because he's got a purpose for you. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. To him who overcomes, everybody say, I'm an overcomer. When we recognize our faults, repent of our mess, and rejoice in suffering, We'll return to our first love and we'll be able to take this message of love, the right kind of love, to the world that's out there. And some of you here today, maybe you've, maybe you've been abused, man. Maybe somebody was supposed to love you, but they abused you when you were a child. And you've never been able to love or receive love since. Maybe you've been pushed aside by religion. Maybe you've been hurt by church. Maybe you've been hurt by people. Maybe you can't get out of your own way. I'm going to ask you to allow the Holy Spirit to touch you afresh and anew and to restore you. But you've got to make a decision to return to your first love today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes all over this place? If you've drifted away from your first love, 
which is and should be Jesus Christ, I want to first give you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You say, Pastor Ronnie, why do you always do this? Because I believe that as you continue to invest and invite, there are going to be lost people in here every week. And even if there's not lost people in here, there are going to be some listening to podcasts or watching. So we're going to keep preaching the gospel because that's what God's called us to do. But I want to give you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So if you don't know Jesus Christ in your heart, you don't have intimacy, you haven't lost your first love, you've been living your whole life without it. But you want it. You want it. Just pray this prayer with me. Let's pray it together this morning in Abba's house. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please come into my heart and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me for your glory. If you prayed that prayer this morning, you're born again. The Bible says, if you will not confess me in front of men, I'll not confess you in front of my Father. So when we release you, you come to one of these pastors and say, I prayed to receive Jesus today. I want to connect. I want to have connection in my life and consecration in my life. I want to be set apart. I want to walk in this new love. Some of you are already saved. Most of you probably. But you've lost your first love. You've lost your passion. Don't feel guilty this morning. Just be thankful that God's made you aware of it. And I'm going to ask you during this time of worship to give him a few minutes of your praise, your prayer. Ask him to forgive you, to repent. Return and rejoice in the things of God. Just allow God to fill you up. Some of it started happening during worship. Maybe you just need to finish that process today and allow God to pour his spirit out. I believe he'll do it. Stand on your feet all over this place. If you need healing, you want to connect with Abba's house, you need to be saved, you need to be filled. Whatever you need, you need to return, you need to rejoice. This is the time to do it. Be a participant. Don't be a watcher, be a participant. Pray, receive, praise, return. Do what God's telling you to do in this moment. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your spirit. Lord, as the leader, I promise that we'll walk in your love. We'll receive it. We'll live it as best as we can. We won't depart from it any longer. We'll return to it. Lord, shift our people transform this body and change people's lives forevermore during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship and rejoice right where you are.